Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Hey there everyone, welcome back to the Adaptify podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. Before I introduce today's guest, I just wanted to mention the Lap Stacker, which is available now on Kickstarter. 10 days to go on Kickstarter pricing as at time of this recording. If you've ever used a wheelchair, uh, you'll know that trying to carry items on your lap and wheel at the same time is not easy. Your items either end up on the floor, um, you struggle to hold on to them, um, you can end up breaking things, you can feel slow, it's just frustrating. We invented the Lap Stacker, which is the world's first retractable strap system to secure items to your lap while you use a wheelchair, and it's available now on Kickstarter. We'd love your support. Go and check it out, adaptify.com. Today's Adaptifier is Aaron Baker from the USA. Aaron took a holistic view of recovery and used visualization with great effect to increase his movement after breaking his neck spectacularly. Aaron is the director of the Center of Restorative Exercise and is also on the board of directors of the Red Bull Wings for Life organization. He's doing amazing things in the adaptive community, has a wealth of information, and I can't wait to dive a bit deeper. Aaron, thanks for joining us and welcome to the show. Cheers. Pleasure to be here. Hey, so first off for our listeners, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up uh, joining this adaptive community of ours? Well, May 26, 1999, I was a young up-and-coming motocross racer and uh, suffered an accident. I went over the handlebars and broke my neck. I was initially diagnosed as a complete quadriplegic, uh, paralyzed from the chin down with a cervical injury. I fractured C4, 5, and 6, and... Yeah, that was a, a pretty um, life-changing day, to say the, say the least. Um, so what was your life like leading up to that? What, what, sort of, what sort of person were you? How would you describe yourself? I was a pretty happy-go-lucky guy or kid at that point. I was only 20 years old, but I was traveling around, um, living a motorcycle racer's lifestyle, <laughs> hopping from couch to couch, um, uh, just going from race to race and, you know, really trying to make my way, make it my, my career. That was my dream, my aspiration. I, I performed well as an amateur. I had a pretty successful career. I won the prestigious events, uh, but I was not yet, uh, at that level of, you know, really making it a, a, a solid income for myself or anything of, of long-term, but but I had a lot of friends. I had a lot of fun. <laughs> totally. No regrets, eh? Before my accident, uh, you know, I was super physical and I, you know, I, I, I used that to its full capacity. You know, as I, was, as I was lying there on the road after being hit by that car, I uh, I thought to myself, hey, well, I've, I've lived this amazing life physically. Now, what can I do with my mind, right? And, you know, that's, I suppose that's the mindset of an optimist, of no doubt. And I, and I know that you are. Uh, an optimist through and through, but there was obviously some really tough moments to overcome. 
what uh, in those early days, and I know it's 20 years ago, but in those early days, what were some of the, the doubts you had? What were some of the things that were filling you with uh, anxiety? Well, you know, Mark, it's, uh, it was always my biggest fear to have this type of injury or a career-ending injury. And I always thought that if th- this had happened, I wouldn't want to live, that I would have killed myself. And mm. it's quite the opposite. You know, when I was faced with the situation, all I wanted to do was live. And uh, it was just such a, a reverence for life, um, something that I felt so strongly and deeply about that I was able to face um, my fear and face the challenge, uh, you know, head on. And I did that with a lot of anger. And, you know, what's interesting is even all this time later, you know, I, I balanced myself between, you know, like frustration, anger, and tranquility and bliss and gratitude. But I harness those things. Like I, I channel that intensity into function or movement or, you know, whatever it is I'm um, working towards at the time. So as part of that process, setting some goals, and if you don't have hope in your life, how do you, how do you set yourself goals and how do you believe in those goals? Mm. Well, you're absolutely right. It is all about goal setting, incremental um, tasks that you can work towards, work on, work towards, but um so what was what was one of the first goals you set yourself? Yeah, the first goal was was uh, after my sister painted my toes with her nail polish as a joke. Um, I wanted to wiggle a toe. <laughs> I was focusing on my left blue toe, and and I was able to make that connection. And that was a major milestone for me, Mark. That was, um, I mean, Mike. Sorry, um, it just it wiggled, and that was my first huge achievement. And we started to build on that. Um, one flicker at a time. So obviously, you know, doctors said to you, you've broken your neck. This is really serious. You're probably unlikely to walk again. Was that the prognosis? Yeah, the prognosis was, I mean, walking was way out of the equation. It was more or less, you know, being able to be uh, independent. You know, uh, I had a really low chance of ever being able to feed myself. One in a million chances what the doctors told my mother and so, you know, you can imagine. So just through sheer determination, you you set your mind to rehabilitation in a big way, right? That that you know, is that one of the keys to your success in terms of your mobility? Well, it is the key to my personal success. We know that all these injuries are vastly different, but for me it was the the uh, proactive approach that my mother and I took. She created an optimal healing environment for me to focus my mind, my energy. I applied visualization techniques similar to what I used in motocross where I would imagine perfect perfect outcomes, perfect technique, perfect corners and jumps and so on. I applied that to my body and I would imagine my muscular system, my skeletal system. I imagined the electrochemical signals traveling through my body like electricity and it was something that I wholeheartedly focused on and did it day in and day out, and I still do. So you say your mother helped you and gave you an environment where you could do that. What were some things that she did that, that provided that, that, that zone? Well, first off, it was 
changing the ambiance of a hospital room from a sterile, cold, loud, mechanical space into a tranquil, serene environment with um, uh, sounds of the rainforest or Tibetan monk chants. Uh, So we had music playing all the time, that type of of music, Um, smells and imagery. You know, we filled that room with pure positive energy, and that's how it remained. Wow, that's fascinating. Is there any resources that uh, can help uh, with listeners out there you know, step-by-steps or, or other, other stories similar to yours that people could read? Do you know of any, any resources off the top of your head? Um, educate yourself with um, harmonics and frequency, vibrations of sound. Um, read the book, The Biology of Belief by Dr. Bruce Lipton. Um, learn about your, your, your biology and how powerful the mind's influence is over uh, the restoration of every cell in your body. So talk to us a little bit about, uh, you know, your current state of mobility. Um, well, right now I, I think I use a wheelchair 50% of the time and I walk the other 50% of the time. I, I can walk without a cane, very unstable, very sketchy, high risk. I can walk with a cane, a bit more stable, I use a four-wheeled walker when I'm totally independent just so I can sit when I need to and I'm stable. Um, but for longer longer, um, you know, uh, durations of time, I'll use my wheelchair. When I travel, I like to use my wheelchair. I use it for time, energy, and risk management. Yeah, nice. A nice way of looking at it. Uh, I tried for a, a brief period of time some calipers, you know, strapped to my legs and using crutches to walk. And mm-hmm. you know, the thought of that was was great, but the actual practicality and the energy needed to to do that was uh, really just didn't stack up. So wheelchair it is, and you know, once you get your wheelchair skills up, man, it's a it's a great it's a great piece of equipment to use. That's it. It's just a vehicle to get from A to B. However, I do, you know, it is easier for me to use the chair, but I do know the importance of maintaining bone density through standing, you know, uh, muscle atrophy, joint contractures, all the the secondary complications that occur when a real, you know, when you're sitting all the time. Mm. So that's why I do try to, you know, walk or stand as much as possible. Hey, so you you left the obviously you left a clinical setting, left a rehab hospital. Then what? What? Uh, what was that? What was that day like? It was shit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, once I went home, there's you know, twenty years ago, there's really nothing out there. Uh, no facilities were available to me. Uh, it was just a typical, um, you know, the standard exercise gym that didn't have adaptive equipment, didn't have clinicians that understood my condition. And all I wanted to do at that point was work. I was hell bent on putting in my effort at maximizing my return of function. I understood that if I stopped doing it, that my body would regress quickly and I would have no chance. And so I was severely depressed. And since there was nowhere to go, I was losing hope and I was ready to end it, man. That's too bad. So how did you get through that moment? 
Uh, really my mother. Um, she scoured the country looking for opportunities, um, reached out to friends and just tried to bring uh, hope back into my life. And she did find uh, a facility called the Center of Achievement, which was at a local university um, here in Los Angeles, that it was a teaching learning lab that had all this type of equipment and had these these students that were thinking outside the box and they were working with special populations. They were working with spinal cord injury and she brought me there. And when I wheeled my wheelchair through the door and I looked around the room and I saw all this equipment, saw this environment, I thought, hell, this is where I can get it done. So from there, uh, how long did you, how long did you participate in that program? Uh, I'd say probably three years, really, wholeheartedly like really committed six days a week four to six hours a day so all this time you're obviously your mum was was helping support you you know there was you know obviously a financial burden on on your family for for all of this how how did you manage that we liquidated assets i mean my mom sold off everything um i had nothing left at that time it was i was um being provided by the state California Children's Services, I was uh, well. I had just turned twenty-one, so I had Social Security. So we're living basically on food stamps, <laughs> you know, off the state and doing rehab. And my mom would do uh, would help others um, for pay, and that was our life. That's all we did, day in and day out. Man, your mum, your mum. We need to get her on the podcast too. She she sounds phenomenal. Uh, yeah, phenomenal. She's the game she made all the difference. Wow. Yeah, it's interesting. People will often say to me, Mike, wow, you're doing so well. And what they don't realize is that it's it's the team behind you. It's yeah. all your family and friends. It's the support network you've got. And you know, uh, yeah, with without that, um, without that support. Man, I don't, I don't really know where I'd be, to be honest. So, um, that, And that's the truth. Like, that is the absolute truth. It doesn't matter how much desire I had to you know, challenge this adversity. It is because of my mother. It is because of the, the support, you know, around me uh, that we're able to facilitate and make that happen. Otherwise, I, I wouldn't be here, Mike. So you now run a center that's obviously modeled off this, uh, this center that you just described. Can you tell us a little bit about core? Sure. Yeah. Core, the center of restorative exercise is a facility that my mother and I opened in 2011, just based on our experience. You know, as I mentioned, when we were discharged from the hospital, we had no place to go. There was no facility literally to be able to go in and improve the quality of my life. And so uh, you know, we conceptualized this idea. We thought that it, it should be a uh, an opportunity for people, and we saved our saved our money and and uh, opened it in 2011. And here so we are today, so just describe for the listeners here um, about the center and, and where the location is, or the locations, and, sure. yeah. and what sort of things they could expect out of it, and and benefits they could uh, they could receive. Sure. Well, uh, our facility now is in Northridge, California, which is North LA. Uh, we will be we're preparing to actually 
expand in 2019, but that's yet to be determined. So uh, we'll keep everybody posted. But basically, we bridge the gap from rehab uh, and to regular fitness. We work with um, a wide variety of clientele from spinal cord injury to stroke, um, neurological conditions, war veterans, even elite athletes. And we all work together under this one roof. So our equipment is unique and specialized. Our restorative exercise specialists are adept at working with this population. Um, We like to systematically progress a client through phases uh, depending on their competency, their abilities. So uh, it's just a, you know, it doesn't feel like rehab. I wanted it to feel very um, inspiring and empowering when you come through the door. It feels like a race shop. You know, all the equipment is clean and sharp, um, you know, vibrant, and uh, the energy's high. Nice. Sounds wonderful. Hey, so, you know, aside from, you know, the visualization uh, techniques that you described and, you know, putting yourself into a focus around exercise, what are some other key tips that you can give our listeners that uh, are maybe struggling with a spinal cord injury right now? What are some other things that you, what other bits of advice could you give them? Mm, bits of advice. Well, it's, um, there's so many inspiring stories now out on social media. I advise people to reach out, reach out to people like me, to you, um, to others, uh, like that you share on the podcast, Tara and other people that are going through it and don't be afraid to, to just ask, you know, ask for help, ask for guidance. Um, it's my honor to share because it helps give me more purpose in this process. I mean, it's hard as hell, Mike. I mean, and it doesn't get easier. I'll tell you after all these years, you know, now I'm aging with a high level spinal cord injury Mm. and that's a whole new set of challenges for me. Mm. Um, I say be willing to, to suffer because that's the bottom line. Um, I'd say I like to call it self-induced suffering. It, it's going to suck either way. So you you can either <laughs> put yourself through the motions and get out there and be active and, and participate in sports and activities, adventure, exercise, um, or you can sit on your ass and let this injury just completely demoralize you, and it will. Mm-hmm. Um, so I choose the latter. I choose self-induced suffering. I choose to to challenge myself and lay my head down at night going, you know what, at least I'm doing everything I in my power and I rest easy in that space. Hey, Aaron, you released a film last year, wasn't it, called Coming to My Senses. Can you describe for me uh, a little bit about that film and what drove you to, uh, to make that film? Sure. Um, yeah, coming to my senses encapsulates, I'd say, 16 years of my recovery process. 16 or 17. Um, and I was compelled to go out to the desert and challenge myself, see how well I could walk or how far I could walk. I had been doing a lot of cycling up to that point, and I had created dysfunction in my body because of all the cycling. Mm-hmm. And I needed to get back to activities of daily living, just being able to stand and move. You know, it's so damn hard for me to take a single step. It's the same amount of effort to, you know, to take one step, 10 steps, 100 steps, or 
30,000 steps across the desert. It's the same effort. So I was compelled to just be out there alone with my thoughts, alone with myself, alone with my ability and survive. And I really learned a lot about my metal. You know, what am I made of? Hmm. And uh, I, I suggest that someone go out and do that for themselves. Go out and integrate into nature and get down to the simple things in life. Learn to be grateful for what it is they have and to be conscious and aware right here and now. So yeah, th- that's the film, really. It, it shows me walking across the desert. It shows some backstory of me cycling across the country twice. It shows uh, some rehab and it shows some suffering. What my family's gone through. So whereabouts can people watch that now? You can find it on Netflix. Uh, it's also available, I think, on iTunes and Amazon. Fantastic. So the desert, where did you start? Where did you finish? How far did you go? I, I only walked 20 miles, but 20 miles at my pace <laughs> <laughs> took, took a week. It took me a week to do it. And I started in Death Valley, California, and I walked to a town uh, aptly named Baker. <laughs> oh, man. So what other things have you got going on? What other things are you involved in? What other things are you uh, passionate about? Well, I'm passionate about everything that Wings for Life is doing. I'm, I'm on the board of directors for Wings for Life, which is a spinal cord injury research foundation funded by Red Bull. I really love the work that I do there. Uh, as I said, I'm, I'm at CORE uh, five days a week. This is my bread and butter. This is what I do. It's what I need. Um, you know, not only am I an owner, I'm a client first. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, everything adventure, as you, I think, can relate. Uh, I am driven to be outdoors. I have a whole garage full of equipment, bicycles, anything with wheels that I can roll and pedal or push. Um, I love to do downhill mountain biking. I've got my road bike that I still ride periodically. Um, most recently I've been building a Harley Davidson chopper. It's a three wheeled trike that I rode for the first time just a couple weeks ago. I saw that on Instagram. It looks incredible, man. Holy moly. (laughs) (laughs) It looks to me like you better just spin up those back wheels. No worries. Yeah. Uh, I can't tell you how good that felt to actually hold the throttle in my hand and twist it. So have you made spe- you know, some special modifications so that you can, uh, you know, what is your hand function like? My right hand is extremely weak. Um, I, I don't have any grip. Um, my wrist movement is very limited. So the whole bike is custom. All the controls are very custom. I, I took some gloves and I put Velcro on the palm of the glove and I put Velcro on the throttle tube itself. So my hand is actually fastened or velcroed to the throttle wow and that's that's how you see me twisting the throttle so who helped you with this and and anyone else there thinking about wanting to modify something how how do you find people to do this uh you have to be patient (laughs) that's what i've learned um i had this idea shoot almost five years ago and i was able i got a you know the first part of the bike uh, a rolling chassis 
And that sat in my garage for two years as I was looking for the right builder, the right person to to help me with the project. And some people came and went, but finally I was able to to land on this particular builder who was actually an employer of mine. It's somebody I, I work with with Shield Healthcare. He happens to be a fabricator and he and I just struck up a friendship and and now we're not only working together with Shield Healthcare and those products, but we work on motorcycles on the weekend. It's so good. Yeah, I know our our various projects started with uh, just asking people if they'd help and um, inviting them into this to this journey to the story, right? And uh, yeah. you know, like you say, people come and go. Everyone has their own commitments, their own families and projects, and. I've just learned to well to just learn to accept that and um, and and be grateful for the help that that people are willing to give and and uh, also know that by asking you actually you're actually also giving to them you're actually giving them some joy to see another person um, get some happiness you know and, and I think often some people refuse to ask for help because they think it's all about them but in fact. Sometimes asking for help is actually about giving another person an opportunity to uh, feel good about helping, right? I totally agree. I mean, you know how it feels to help. Yeah. So you just have to put yourself in their shoes and and set your pride aside and just allow somebody to come in and and be a part of of your life. Hey, so aside from uh, spending time on your trike and and, and all your toys and growing core and being on the board of uh, uh, the Red Bull Wings, uh, Wings for Life, is there any time for any other future plans? What does the future hold for you, Aaron? Well, I've got a lot of things on my on my uh, vision board of what I'd like to accomplish. Um, and sometimes I spread myself too thin because it's like I, I want to do all these things, but I have to rein myself in and focus one at a time and set my priorities up. I, I'd really like to start a family. Mike, honestly, that's that's um, mm. a big focus for me. I'm not getting any younger, and I've got a beautiful wife, and so we're going through the 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 process of that right now. Yeah, I'm nice. Well, uh, I know that's a that's a tough journey. My wife and I wanted to have another child, and spinal cord injury put paid to that so um we're thankful we've got you know we've got our 10 year old boy ocean who's uh mm. an absolute absolute pleasure i i wish you every success with that mate you you have no regrets whatsoever cheers i appreciate that hey so whereabouts can people uh find out some more about you and um uh, particularly on on your social channels sure yeah i mean the world is so small today right um uh, i'm aaron baker uh, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you can find imaronbaker.com, uh, which is just the letter I, the letter M, and then my name. Uh, you can also find uh, more information about CORE at centerofrestorativeexercise.com or wingsforlife.com. That's great. I'll link to those in your your description um, on the website there, on the story that we write. Thanks so much for joining us today, Aaron. It's been incredible to, um, to, to hear from you. I look forward to meeting up in person one day and uh, maybe uh, convincing you to let me take your trike for a spin. And if you find yourself in, uh, in New Zealand, this side of the world, then uh, there's, always a, there's always a bed for you here, mate, and um, we'd love to show you around. I really appreciate that, Mike, and New Zealand has been on my bucket list for a lot of years, so I hope to see you. 
Thanks so much, mate. We'll, uh, we'll catch you soon. All right. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com. That's A-D-A-P-T-D-E-F-Y.com. We're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify. Follow us there for more behind-the-scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to catching you next time.